You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Good evening, church. Glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Of course, we heard the news this past week about the three-step uh, the three, three phases or three steps, I don't know what they're calling it nowadays, uh, that the government is doing to bring, um, I, I guess, uh, things back to normal. And so, of course, uh, that means that we, like Sister Eden mentioned, that we probably won't be open for quite some time or meeting physically in person for quite some time. But please do keep all of that in prayer, right? Um, we need to be keeping our government leaders in prayer. Uh, as well as those who are sick, and of course the progress of uh, of our country, our, our province in getting back uh, or getting vaccines out and and getting back to some sort of normalcy. So let's all keep that in prayer. I hope you are, you are all doing well, that you are staying in community, that you're reaching out to one another, uh, and and showing the love that you would normally show if we were meeting in person. But. Despite all of that, we are going to continue in our study in the Gospel of John. We are now at part 10 of our study. I believe this is going to be probably the the longest series that we've ever done here at Plus Life, but I think that's a good thing. This method that we've been taking of exegeting, expounding on God's Word, chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse, word by word, uh, is a good thing, and I hope that it has been... uh, challenging you, cultivating in you a hunger for God's word uh, to go deeper in your own personal devil times. And uh, of course, this is why we love to study God's word here at, at, at Plus Life. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But that doesn't take into effect unless we dig deep into God's word, right? We need to devour it for all it has. We need to chew on it, meditate it on it, as uh, scripture says. Now, with that said, I'm actually very excited for tonight's sermon because we are going to have a feast tonight. This is going to be a great meal in our sermon tonight. There, this isn't going to be some baby food, you know, gerbers uh, uh, food tonight. Tonight we're going to have some steak, some triple A Angus sirloin, Belgian blue coated with aged butter and herbs cooked medium rare kind of meal tonight with a side of Diet Coke, right? There's actually so much to cover for tonight, and uh, actually, uh, as I was writing the sermon, I can only really, for tonight at least, only exegete our passage, and next week I'll give you some solid points or some application to it. Um, So get your appetite ready for God's Word, because we are about to get a meal on us tonight, and if we finish under 15 minutes, the meal's free. Um, No, it's not. But hopefully you have your Bibles out with you, and please stand with me as we get into God's Word. We are going to to take up um, our passage in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you already. Everyone has their Bibles here? Oh, great. It's great here. John chapter 3, we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 10. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a 
teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Let's, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O holy God, we bless your name. We pray, O God, that our offerings of worship to you earlier would be a sweet fragrance to you, O God. You deserve all the praise. You deserve all the honor that is due to you that we can muster up even in our, in our humanity. O God, we give you the glory. And right now, God, as we enter into this time of your word, as we sit at your feet, we ask, O Lord, that you would soften our hearts. That, God, you would allow for there to be good soil. That your word would penetrate deep. That, God, true and real conviction would occur and life change would take place amongst our people. Oh God, I pray that you would help us through this passage and through the difficult topics that we'll be talking about tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd give us grace to understand. You'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see your will, your word, your way in, um, in your scriptures tonight. I pray, oh God, that you would use me as your instrument of peace, I pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Tell someone, message someone the title of my sermon tonight, The Work of Regeneration. The Work of Regeneration. You may be seated. As I've mentioned many times here before in this pulpit, that I, I love movies. As your pastor, that's something that I've always, I always bring illustrations of, movie illustrations. And I've mentioned before that I love action, fantasy, adventure movies like The Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, well, at least some of the Star Wars movies and some of the Marvel movies too. But aside from those, I also like the very intellectual movies, the big brain kind of movies. Specifically the kind where two very intelligent characters are trying to outsmart one another. And the battle becomes a battle of wits and intellect rather than a battle of brawn or muscle. This is like uh, Batman and the Joker uh, in the Dark Knight movie or Sherlock and Moriarty, two intellectuals, two big brain characters going at it with words rather than muscle. And it makes for fun entertainment. Now, I bring this up because that's what is happening in our passage tonight. A Pharisee named Nicodemus versus Jesus the Christ. One, a declarated teacher of the law, and the other, the Son of God. And what we get from this exchange of words between these two teachers, these two intellectuals in the faith, are 
uh, are truths that is life-changing, uh, teachings that, are, uh, that is groundbreaking, uh, that, that, take, that takes away any human thinking or, or, or human type of worship um, that has been practiced for thousands of years and are still being practiced today. It challenges all of that. In our passage tonight, Jesus reveals to Nicodemus, this Pharisee, and us as the readers, this colossal fundamental doctrine of regeneration. This is huge. This doctrine is at the bedrock of our salvation, of the doctrines of grace and faith. This changes how we read scripture, how we, how we relate with God, how we understand God. As we mentioned every week, John writes his gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and also the Son of God, and by believing we might have life in his name. Well, the doctrine of regeneration is the precedence as to why we can believe in the first place, as to why we can have life in the first place. Remember what happened at the latter half of John chapter 2 as well. John records how unbelief looks like. We talked about for the past two weeks, the unbelief of the religious leaders and the unbelief of the, the people in Jerusalem. So now at the start of chapter 3 in our passage, via this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus begins to explain where that unbelief comes from, where, where true faith comes from. This conversation sets the precedence for the truths that come in this chapter and the rest of this gospel that John is uh, writing and trying to convey to his readers. Church, my desire tonight is to simply expound for us this doctrine of regeneration that Jesus himself talks about in our passage. My hope is that by doing this, that we as believers would truly be captured by the beautiful revelation that completely eradicates any notion of self-reliance or human works or, or, a, or, or a, a, a self-reliance as a necessity for salvation. My hope is that if any of us are still in the mindset of a works-based relationship with God, whether to attain salvation or to maintain salvation, that we would truly be set free from that mentality and come to accept and enjoy the true riches of God's grace found in the doctrine of regeneration. So let's jump into our passage. Like I said, there's a lot of ground to cover for tonight, so everyone say jump. Let's break down our passage so we truly understand the depths of where this uh, of this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Our passage takes place uh, shortly after the scene at the temple and, uh, and the Passover week, as we'll see. While Jesus was still in Jerusalem, our passage says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Remember, whenever it references the Jews, it's referencing the religious elites, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. This is the Sanhedrin consisting of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and priests. Nicodemus was a ruler among them, meaning that he was highly respected and re revered for his religious authority by the other leaders. He was probably a notable teacher that everyone looked to for answers. Now, all of this to explain why he was called a ruler among them and why John in the next verse says, this man, talking about Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. 
Nicodemus came to see Jesus secretly at night because it would have been shameful for a man of his standing, of his authority, of his position to be seen asking questions or even associating with this rabbi from Nazareth who just cleared out the temple, who just challenged the authority of the Sanhedrin and who is now publicly drawing more followers than the religious elites in, in Jerusalem. Nicodemus could not afford to be seen socializing with the guy who just said that he's going to destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. But something happened. Nicodemus saw something during Jesus' time in Jerusalem. We know this because Nicodemus himself says this. He says in that same verse, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things or these signs that you do unless God is with him. Remember what John said at the end of the previous chapter. Jesus remained in Jerusalem performing miracles and signs, giving signs of his authority and his divinity. There was a good chance that Nicodemus saw one of these signs performed, maybe a healing, maybe an exorcism, something extraordinary enough to, for him to, to seek out Jesus despite the rest of his peers rejecting the Christ. Nicodemus also connects the dots. Having been an Old Testament scholar and knowing the miracles of the Old Testament, the prophets from before, he knew that unless Jesus had some sort of connection to God, with the Spirit of God, there was no way that he was performing all these signs or these miracles. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he recognizes his authority, calls him a rabbi, calls him a teacher. He recognizes the spirit of God indwelling in Christ. Nicodemus is very respectful and cordial towards Jesus when he comes. But then I love Jesus' response in verse 3. It says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus cuts straight to the point, right? He knew exactly why Nicodemus came, why this Pharisee came in, in the cover of night. Remember what John said about Jesus in the passage before, in the last chapter. It says in John chapter 2, verse 24 to 25, it says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is talking about the omniscience of Christ. So Jesus' response gives us an idea as to why Nicodemus actually came to see him that night. Why Nicodemus was so willing to risk his reputation just to meet Jesus. He wanted to know how he could be part of the kingdom of God. This gives us insight as to where Nicodemus' heart was after seeing all the miracles and the signs that Jesus performed. He probably believed that Jesus was a good candidate for the coming Messiah, the anointed one of God, the, the, the one who would usher in the kingdom of God, as per the writings of the Old Testament. And Nicodemus came to ask how, then, he could be part of that kingdom that this Messiah, that Jesus was supposedly establishing or ushering in. But here comes the first move in this battle of intellects that I was speaking about earlier, in this discourse between this, the Pharisee and the Savior. Jesus says, truly, truly, meaning I wholeheartedly affirm, amen and amen, I agree, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you might have a, a footnote in your Bible saying born again it could also mean born from above. John purposely wrote it this way so that it's interchangeable because it will come to mean the same thing as we'll see in this passage. But Jesus throws a metaphor at Nicodemus, this Pharisee, unless one is born again. 
Now, something you need to understand is that religious teachers in Jewish days, in those days, in Jesus' days, I should say, spoke in metaphors and parables all the time. It's like, uh, you know, you want someone to go grab you a, a drink or something. He, he'll speak in parables. I need fresh water from the rivers of Lebanon or something like that, right? They always spoke in parables as a teacher of, uh, of the law, of the, uh, of the scriptures. They would purposely speak in allegories so that, they would, uh, they, so that only those smart enough would catch on or understand their teachings. It was another way of sort of thinning out the herd, so to speak, getting rid of their students that weren't qualified for their teachings, and, 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 and while at the same time keep those who were deemed worthy or understood his, their teachings. So when Jesus gives Nicodemus this metaphor about being born again, Jesus is actually playing in Nicodemus' home, in his, in his home court, talking in parables, talking in allegories, talking how the other Pharisees would talk. So now notice how Nicodemus responds. Nicodemus doesn't say, uh, the kingdom? Why are you talking about the kingdom? I just, I just said all these things to you, and, and you're talking about the kingdom, all right? I was talking about your signs just now, but you're talking about the kingdom. He doesn't say that. No, he recognizes that Jesus just read his heart, that Jesus knew exactly why he came, the, the questions that he had lingering on his mind. So he jumps onto the same metaphor that Jesus, uh, that Jesus gives him. Uh, verse 4, Nicodemus responds, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? The, the intelligent ruler of the Jews recognizes the metaphor, the analogy, and throws it back to Jesus. Remember, there's like a, a battle of intellects going on here. Now, we need to break down this metaphor just a little more so that we get really understand what Nicodemus' uh, response here is and, and so we understand this very simple uh, metaphor that Jesus gives us, and, and this is important because oftentimes this metaphor is taken somewhere where it's not meant to be. So what does Jesus mean when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. First of all, we need to understand that what Jesus is saying here is not a command. What Jesus is saying here is not a command. Jesus is not saying, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Therefore, go and be born again. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is simply saying here is a statement of fact. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not a command. Simple, it's, it's straightforward. It's a statement of fact. But the distinction needs to be made here because if we see it as a command, then the perception is that we can then achieve that command, that there, there is some sort of step-by-step -step process in order for us to accomplish that command, for us to fulfill that task of being born again. But again, that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what he meant here. It's not a command. And, and you know, we hear this all the time in evan evangelical churches. You know, the, 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 the late uh, great evangelist Billy Graham, he, he, he wrote a book even called How to Be Born Again. And I know for sure that that was written with great intentions, good intentions for the glory of God, for the purpose of reaching the lost. And, and, but yet, it really twists the analogy, the metaphor that Jesus is getting at in this passage about being born again. People start coming up with all these step-by-step -step methods on how to be born again. You, you say this prayer. You say these exact words. You, you confess your sins. You let Jesus into your heart. And then when you do these things, then you will be born again. 
And I'm sure I, I, I've, I've said something like that before here too. But let me, tell you, let me tell you, this is completely the opposite of what Jesus is getting at in our passage, in this analogy that he's giving. And it completely disregards the context of the passage. Listen, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, a lifelong Jew, a Pharisee, someone who was from a religious order that was all about rules and legalism and following steps to, in order to get right with God, in order to maintain righteousness. Why would Jesus then give him more rules, more steps to follow? That's not what Jesus is doing in our passage. He is saying a statement of fact about the condition that we must be in in order to see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God meaning salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sin, a right relationship with a holy God. And Jesus uses this very plain and simple analogy about being born again. Why? Because listen, church, just how you did not do anything to contribute to your physical birth, you don't do anything to contribute to your spiritual birth. That's it. Plain and simple. The same way that you didn't have a say in your parents making you or conceiving you or giving birth to you, you do not have a say in being spiritually born again. That's all that means. And yet for some reason we get the idea that that, that goes over what Jesus has meant here and and we we go into a five-step program, got to do this, got to say this, you got to raise your hand, got to come to the altar. But that's not what Jesus meant. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God caused us to be born again. That's unilateral, that's monergistic, not synergistic. It is the sole work of God alone that causes dead men to be born again, to be saved. We didn't, merit the Bible. we didn't merit it. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. We didn't have a choice in it. John will later say that we love the darkness rather than the light. We chose darkness instead. We didn't seek out the truth of God. The Bible says that while we were still in our sin, we suppressed the truth of God. We in our sins were dead in our trespasses against God. There was nothing in us that would want to or cause us to be born again. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is open to those who have been born from above or born again by the supernatural sovereign power of a holy God in which we do not participate or contribute to. That's the work of regeneration. We've mentioned this before, and I just mentioned it just a couple of seconds ago. This is monergism rather than synergism. Salvation being the sole work of God alone in which man does not participate or contribute to. Again, just how you didn't and couldn't do anything or intend to do anything or say anything to contribute to your physical birth, you cannot do and contribute anything to your spiritual birth. That's what Jesus means by being born again and what he is saying to Nicodemus in our passage. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I know why you came here. I know your heart. You want to know how to get into the kingdom. That's great, but only those who are born again can enter into the kingdom. That's a fact. 
those who have done nothing to earn it or contribute it or merit or uh, entry into the kingdom, yet by the sovereign choice of God, by the riches of his mercies and grace, have been born again. They are the ones who will see the kingdom of God. And what's great about this passage of Nicodemus here is that he understands exactly what Jesus is talking about, what he's saying here. His response again in in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's not saying this because he doesn't get what Jesus is saying. He's not ignorant as to what he's saying, or he doesn't understand. It's not because he doesn't understand the metaphor. He fully gets it. He understands that Jesus is saying that you cannot do anything to enter the kingdom of God apart from being born again, a work that only God can do, which you have no control of, which you cannot do anything about. So Nicodemus' response is simply to state the impossibility and and the outrageousness of the notion being made, born again. He was saying, so what you're telling me is, I can't see the kingdom unless I am born again. But I have no choice or control in the matter. There's no work that I can do, no prayer that I can pray, no alms that I can give. That means it's impossible. That means I can do nothing to be saved on my part. What what am I supposed to do? Climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? That's weird and gross. Nicodemus, in his response, is stating the impossibility and how outrageous the notion of being born again is. Again, to a Pharisee whose entire life was built on following a set of rules to get right with God. This is mind-blowing. This is worldview-shattering. This is a paradigm shift in what he's been taught and what he himself has taught and what he himself has practiced in his life. He was so used to working for his salvation, but then Jesus comes along and and says that you can't work for it. You can't earn it can't do anything for it. You have no choice in it. This news was, again, mind-blowing to Nicodemus. He concludes that it's impossible to do anything to be saved then. So Jesus helps him out a little here, right, so that he can better understand. In verse 5 of our passage, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, okay, scholar of the Old Testament, let me show you this in Scripture. Unless you are born of water, hint, hint, and spirit, wink, wink, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing to mind Scripture that Nicodemus would have studied and memorized since he was a young boy, since he was a Pharisee, uh, something that he read over and over again and taught countless times. He points the Pharisee to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 to 27. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Water and spirit. This is talking about regeneration all the way back to the Old Testament. Seven times in this passage alone does God say, say, I will, I will, I will. Several other times in that same chapter of Ezekiel, God will say that he will act, that he will cleanse, that he will work. 
All of it pointing to the reality that it is God alone who moves and acts and decides upon the work of salvation. Nowhere in this passage does it say that God will work and you will work with him or alongside him. Nowhere does this passage say that, you know, when you open your heart to God, then he can work. Then he can remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. It doesn't say that. Salvation is a unilateral work, a sole work of God alone. Nicodemus would have also recalled Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 to 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Jesus is very clear in referencing these passages in Ezekiel. Born of water, referencing the cleansing act of God over the sinner. Born of spirit, referring to God putting his spirit in one of, his, uh, one of these ones that he's cleansed. That, it, that is what it means to be born again. Having been washed by the blood of the Lamb and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Father wills it, the Son pays for it, the Spirit seals it, and you have no part in it. Again, that's the work of regeneration, of recreation, of new birth. That's the truth that Jesus is pointing to from the Old Testament. What he, the, the hints that he's giving to, to Nicodemus, this Old Testament scholar, he's teaching this truth to this, this Jewish scholar, Nicodemus. He brings up Ezekiel because, again, this, this is the, the Pharisee's worldview, right? This is everything that he understands. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is making two more references here. Born of the flesh is referring to the Old Testament doctrine of total depravity, something that the Jewish religious system of offerings and washings and rituals and rules totally skips over. What does the flesh produce? More flesh, Jesus is saying. It cannot produce anything spiritual. It can't produce anything good. This wording would have gotten Nicodemus to recall Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, right before God sends the flood to destroy the earth because of the people's sin. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. Or the testimony of Job in Job chapter 14. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? There is not one. Or Job 15. What is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Job 25, how, how then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Surely Nicodemus would have remembered as well Isaiah 64, verse 67. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, filthy, filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Jesus is recalling these Old Testament scriptures to, to point to this Old Testament doctrine of total depravity that says, in our flesh we can produce nothing good, nothing spiritual, nothing righteous, nothing worthy of God's forgiveness and grace and mercy and redemption or, or, or even his love. Even the best that our flesh can produce is still flesh, still tainted by sin. The Apostle Paul, who was also a Pharisee, if you remember, 
probably even studied under Nicodemus at some point. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, as it is written, he's referring to several Old Testament passages here, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's total depravity. But then Jesus goes on to say, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. He brings the conversation back to the Ezekiel passage so that he can connect what he's about to say in verse 7. Do not marvel what I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus is saying, don't be surprised about this doctrine of rebirth, of regeneration that I'm teaching you here. You should know this. It's all over the scriptures that you study and love. Then continuing in verse uh, 8, Jesus gives uh, uh, the, uh, more examples here. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Remember, Nicodemus's mind is already in the book of Ezekiel. This, this would have got him to recall Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of dry bones. Let me read this for you, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5 to 6. First, it says this, Thus says the Lord God to, those, to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, that word for breath is the same as spirit, to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breath on these, breathe on these slain, they, so that they may live. Then he said, verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Again, it is the act of God. All of this, this metaphor of wind brings us back to Ezekiel. Jesus is saying, the wind, again, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from where it, or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What, what do you do to control the wind? Nothing. It comes from above. You can't summon the wind. You can't send it away. You can't write a book on how to increase wind in your household or in your yard. That would be pointless. It doesn't make sense. It is completely and totally the sovereign work of God. The wind is invisible. It is uncontrollable. It is irresistible. It is unpredictable. It cannot be summoned. It doesn't show up because you want it. And it doesn't go away just because you don't want it. This is the second analogy that Jesus uses with Nicodemus, who, again, would have understood all of this metaphor. And the message remains the same. Salvation is the work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit of God, that, and you, can't, you do not participate in it, or you do not contribute to it. This is irresistible grace. We'll talk more about that next week. Jesus says in John 5, verse 21, the Son gives life to whomever he wills. 
Not what I will or what you will. Whomever God wills. Now, having connected all those dots, Nicodemus responds in verse 9, how can these things be? Nicodemus is shell-shocked here, right? Again, his entire worldview, his entire way of living has been turned upside down by what Jesus just um, told him. And Jesus has the last word here. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You're a teacher of Israel, and yet you miss all these things in Scripture. Now, before you laugh at Nicodemus here, the reality is this is the case for all of us. We live in a works-based society. The only way that we become accepted, the only way we get rewards is when we merit it, when we work for it, when we earn it. So similar to how Nicodemus was in this, this religion in that, that, that required works to get into right standing with God, we live in a world exactly the same. Everyone's trying to work for salvation and be good and be righteous and be something and here are the steps, right, to that. But what Jesus introduces in our passage is nothing like what we've heard, what we've learned in school, and what, what our culture tries to cultivate in, our, in us. This is extraordinary news for all the religions in the world that says you need to do good, you need to work for your salvation, you need to climb that mountain up to God, you need to sacrifice, you need to burn yourself, you need to cut yourself, all so that you can get into a right standing with God. But Jesus says, no, you can't do anything. There's nothing that you can contribute. There's, there's no way that you can participate in this work of salvation. Because again, we are just sinners. Everything that we do, flesh produces flesh. Everything we do is tainted by sin. Even our, our best, even our best is as filthy rags. So with all that said, sort of, it sort of leaves us in a place of, well, then what, Right? Like, what can we do then? We're in a similar place as Nicodemus. It's like, okay, so I can't earn it. I can't do anything about it. Then what can I do then to be saved, to be, to be born again? Let me point you to John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me, this is Jesus talking, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is what we can do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we close here. This is what you can do. You can plead with God. You can ask him to give you life. And as we just read in this, in this passage here, in John 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
It is God's prerogative. It is His desire, His mission to redeem those who genuinely come with repentance, with a desire for life in Him. He doesn't reject the the honest prayer, the, the prayer that recognizes we are sinners in need of a Savior. You can say what the tax collector said as he approached the throne of grace. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all we can do. To throw ourselves before the holy God and hope for mercy. Recognizing that there is nothing in us that is good. There is nothing in us that can save us. The only thing that we can do is throw ourselves to the mercies of a holy God. Now, you might get this idea that God is cold and unfeeling. Because if it's his work and his sole work to save man... Or that's his sovereign choice that for some reason we, we might get this idea that he is unfeeling or he's cold or distant, but that's far from the truth. It's because he is merciful and gracious and loving that we can hope to be saved. Because the reality is God does not need to save any of us. We offended him. We, we sinned against him. We rebelled against him, suppressed his truth, chose creation over the creator. He does not need to save us. Yet in his mercies, in his grace, in his infinite love, still works regeneration in the hearts. This is where that great verse comes in. This is in a couple of verses after our passage. This whole idea of, of being born again and God being the whole, the sole worker of salvation, all of that sets the precedence for most famous scripture in passage, in, in, in script, the, the most famous passage in scripture. For God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now you might think just because I read the word believe here, it means that, oh, there's something that we can do. We just need to believe. That, If you remember last week, that word for believe in the Greek just simply means to entrust. You have no part in it. You, you have, it's, it's, you're at the end of the rope and this is the only way out. And you're entrusting yourself, your life, your livelihood, your eternal life, your eternal destination to a God, to the only God who can save. That's what this means here. It's an act of surrender. It's throwing up your hands and saying, God, I cannot do anything to save myself. I have nothing good in me. Save me. That is act of surrender. And again, our hope and our joy is that because God loves us, John goes on to say in scripture that, you know, 
God demonstrates his love in a, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of it is done from the loving heart of God. So I, as we close this evening, I want to invite you If you have still been trying to go at your faith, at your relationship with God by your good works, please be convinced by this this Pharisee named Nicodemus that there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation or even maintain your salvation. All of it is in the hands of a holy God. I invite you to your hands up, so to speak. Put your faith in the salvific work of God of sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, uh, to die a death that we should have died, to rise from the grave. Pray that if you have not yet yielded your will to God, you would do so tonight. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just want to recognize that there is nothing good in us. nothing that we, we could ever bring to the table. Nothing that would merit your grace, your mercy, and your love. If it was not for your son and his righteous life, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't even be talking to you right now. And thank you, O oh Lord, that Christ has made a way that in him we can have access to your throne of grace to receive mercy to receive forgiveness though we did not deserve it though we could do nothing to earn it you still in your righteousness in your grace and mercy chose bestowing on us anyway. So God, I pray for those who have yet to reconcile these truths in their heart, who is still trying to earn their way to your good presence, I pray that your truth would set them free this evening. That the Holy Spirit would open their hearts they would take that your Holy Spirit would take their stone heart and replace it with a heart of flesh that they might receive these truths openly and willingly and truly put their trust, their faith in your finished work, Lord Jesus. God, help us to live in these truths, Lord. Help us to live in these in the grace and the mercy that you have afforded us through the work of regeneration. 
pray, God, that you would help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Live changed lives. We need your help in this, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.